whatever. Got it. <laughs> Welcome yeah, I, to yeah. the mind part of Lost in the Groove. We're probably going to cut it off here again for the posting of this later. Um, myself and the main host, Dave, who you can't see right now because we can't figure out how to split screen the stupid Facebook app. Yeah. But, um, Fuck Mark Zuckerberg and his fucking yeah. meta shit, motherfucker. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's so funny that he thought that he could actually have something like meta and have people want to do it when Facebook is so glitchy that like you can't even do this. No, I know. And it, it's just like, th this is the point of this conversation today. Like we're going to be deep diving into AI art and it goes even further because you know, we could be like one of those people be like, oh, AR, IR, you know, like all those like cool pictures online that's done by artificial intelligence. No, we're going to be also talking about fucking VR artificial intelligence, which has kind of become like a form of art where, okay, this blows my fucking mind. Uh, I recently saw somebody sold an NFT that's a virtual reality. For over five million dollars, it's crazy. NFTs oh my god! Saturn and I tried making them for a minute, like a, a little while ago. Saturn is actually like quite good at it, and like my brain doesn't really work that way. But I somebody suggested that I make four more paintings to my Rep Palace series, my installation piece series, and so I painted them. I never finished them. I don't know. Uh, maybe I'll try to do it now. But you know, it is crazy. That is a whole universe that didn't exist before and it is so expensive but because it, it's for extremely like it's such a like twisted little game though right like it's like creating this kind of you get to create the like demand chain yourself as the artist because you only produce as many as you want so you can create scarcity the second that you create the content which is super interesting goes into the idea of also like you know supply and demand like we, we both know like you know we're both in the art world like we know what that means <clears throat> most people right. do but it doesn't well, work that way with artificial intelligence well with nfts it does though because you're still the artist creating the thing and so you can you create the the like supply and demand chain so like so look, if you decide you yeah. only have seven versions of your nft then there's only seven versions so that creates more like more scarcity and that creates like bigger more hype and you can charge more whereas like well i mean the problem okay but look the problem though with nfts is the value is based on bluff because you're setting the value of the item that you're selling so you can sell it for exorbitant amount of money now the other thing also keep in mind is one of them, uh, I was, I read this recently. One of the main reasons some of these NFTs sell for so much money is for money laundering, for cartel, and ways of them flushing out and getting clean money the other end. And NFTs is a great way of doing that because it can't be tracked. That's probably true for some of it, but I think another part of it is like, like think about people who collect like Banksy's work and stuff, like you're just buying into the new, the new latest trend. And it's like people who have a lot of money and consider themselves like art collectors. And so they want to have like the hippest thing. So like, it doesn't matter if it's good, really. It matters if there's hype around it. And so if there's hype around it, they're able to buy it. Whether or not yeah, it's like cartel or money laundering or whatever, that's almost irrelevant because it's like there's it, the people are still buying, the people are still buying these things who are patrons of the arts. I get that, but it's also you got to remember that like 
with the benefit, there also comes this negative of where my, my three biggest issues with NFTs up until this point is one, value fluctuates, uh, availability fluctuates. Uh, that's one. Two is security. Okay. I don't, a lot of the systems that these NFTs are on and what they use, I don't really trust them. And that goes to my third problem is you can't track or trace any of it. And it's a positive because then you don't have to get the government or whatever the shit that gets involved into it. But my problem with that is you can lose a shitload of money and as you're an fucked. Artist, I think you, you can lose more money as a buyer than as an artist. True. Because as an artist, once they buy it, they buy it. Whatever happens to it, it's already theirs. Today's podcast is sponsored by Authority Car Mods, a mod shop which I personally use for all my car needs, from my custom modifications to my vehicle general maintenance, tire repair, and discount pricing. These guys do great work, and their prices are literally killing the competition. Located here in South Florida, in West Coral Springs, right off the Sample Road exit, not only are they super accessible, but open late nights with appointments. So don't wait. Follow them on Instagram at authority underscore car underscore mods, or call their office line, which is 954 798 one six zero two and book your spot now like you you still have you know you have like the dividends or whatever you have the profit that you made off of it and if you release more of it then you have that to deal with but like you, once it's out of your hands it's out of your hands whereas like for the buyer they could lose money because it's untraceable but that's the same thing with anything that's crypto crypto based crypto like like anything that's paid for in crypto but if that's kind of like yeah i mean if you're speaking artist wise then yeah, you're correct. The artist benefits the most yeah. from NFTs, but the buyer benefits the least when it comes to NFTs in those certain cir circumstances, might I add. Well, that's kind of true. Except, well, so so last year, I knew a couple people who were working on like, they were working in like, I'm not saying who they are, but like they're working on two different projects that were like um, NFT based events, immersive experiences. One of them was um, an art basil thing, a basil, basil, art basil. Another one was like a, uh, like the first uh, NFT based, like immersive festival. And those are interesting concepts themselves. But the thing is like, once you buy it, just like anything else, you can do curated shows and you can make a lot of money because people want to see these things. And a lot of them are lame, you know, but some of them are also really beautiful. And so you have both the lame ones and the beautiful ones and people are able to see both. But as a buyer, like you, you have the ability to create shows with it. And so that's kind of the point. It's like, it is something that's an intangible concept. It's like an intangible asset, but at the same time, so is all art. Like all art is kind of an intangible asset. Like even if it's something that's tactile, it's not pragmatic. Like a sculpture is not is a sculpture is just as unpragmatic as an NFT, except that you can touch it. I mean, they have now where I saw this. It was really cool. I saw this on TikTok. I loved it. Uh, this guy bought an NFT, and it was a shitload of money. 
and they delivered the NFT on like one of those like flat panel, you know, like frame televisions. And yeah. like a pallet. Yeah, like it's on a TV, like it's locked and secured on just one television. And yeah. just watching like people coming in there with white gloves and like install I'm like it's a whole new world because we live in a digital era. And we have become more connected to it than most. And I think like we can't run away from it. We need to we need to face our doom. Our well, doom. You have, you have to embrace it while also like holding on to the integrity of your analog work, I think. Like and I find this like as somebody who makes my whole living making art either just my own stuff and also for the film industry and stuff i don't i am i just bought a bunch of stuff to be able to do be more competitive with like digital but i don't do digital usually like my stuff is usually like um hand done and i do a lot of freehand work and i do a lot of like even when i'm doing like old-timey signs and things i'm still doing things that are uh you know hand hand painted hand created hand crafted hand built and so that has like because everything has gone digital, there's there are some people who are like, oh, well, it has to be digital. But I find that like overwhelmingly, if you're good enough at the thing that you're good at, regardless of whether or not it's the trend or not, people, you're gonna have an edge. So like the fact that I don't do digital, people want my stuff, like want to work with my stuff because, because it's not digital, because I, it is something that's still hand up world of digital. I, kind of like in your benefit too. Can I share some of my digital art? right now yeah just to show us like reference um I'd love to. yeah yeah so we'll post it, in the comments later yeah and i mean like people on youtube are going to see this so let me just go ahead and pull so i'm one of those type of artists and uh, i me and you we've spoken about this like i started doing digital art uh about two and a half years ago and for me too like i am a hands artist i like to draw um and pen and paper but the experience of digital art it's it's different you know it's different in a good way you learn on how to it's like it's a new kind of craft um yeah, as an artist totally, yeah totally, yeah i mean i'm 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 i just ordered a the newest ipad thing but we got like a tablet as well like a android tablet too mm -hmm. and so i've been playing around with that a little bit like drawing with that and like i like when i had like when i was a kid and computers were first like thing in homes um we had one briefly when i was quite young and i remember like drawing on that and just being like this is so disappointing because because <laughs> i was like i was an artist since i was like you know controlled a pencil when i was like three and like i would try to like draw on like the computer i was like this is so lame that's so cool and so but like Working at, like, I tried to, I got to try somebody's procreate over the summer. And I was like, this is so easy because it kind of like, I feel like what is so cool about it is like when you're drawing something with like charcoal or pencil or pen or whatever, you have to work so hard to make everything. Like, it's not, it's not the drawing or like the illustration that's the hard part. The hard part is getting the line to be like a perfect curve. And with like something like procreate, you're able to like, or illustrate, you're able to just like do it and then it goes like for you. So I feel like it's so kind of cheating. But it's also cool. So uh, th this is a piece that I did a while ago, and th this is some of the digital art that I've done. It's cool. Um, 
Yeah. And like exactly what you said, like you can, you know, I can kind of zoom in a little bit, like, especially with the lines. Now I'm the kind of person I like imperfection. So those two eyes, they're not a copy of each other. I've actually redrawn each eye. So I basically took a layer. So layer over this eye and then put it over to this one. And then I just draw it out the line. So like, it's, not a hundred percent perfect. This is like a little, this is me. Like I, I like to add those yeah. like, but it's so true. It's like with digital art, it allows you as an artist, especially like for me, cause like I'm a stoner. So I, I smoke cannabis and a lot of my art is infused with that and psychedelics and stuff. And to get the right orange, uh, I'm going to stop the screen. Um, but <laughs> To get like the right oranges, um, you know, we're both artists. We can both relate to this. You ever have like that perfect shade of like a blue, okay? And you need that like contrast color. And you're like thinking maybe, maybe like a yellow, like maybe like a pale. No, no, no. Like maybe a lavender. It'll give it a little bit more of a, but it's a, you know, it's, it's a blue and purple. Like what am I? But then you get digital art, okay, where it gives you a color wheel. Where you have and not only a color wheel, but you're also just eye drop whatever color you, you want from whatever thing you're looking at. Like I did when I was doing promotional flyers. Huh? Giant bag of polyfill. Okay, faster first. When I was uh, when I was doing flyers for my for my pop-up shop a couple of weeks ago, um I like screen grabbed the color that I was like making the text or the text background from something that was in my mural. I think it was like, you can't see, it's one of the leaves over there. And like, so like, it was actually like, it wasn't just like a stock color. It was actually like a color from my own piece that I used as the promotional like text color. So that was kind of neat. Cause it's like, you're able to be a lot more specific with it. You don't have to like be limited to like whatever the colors and stuff that they have are. But like, at the same time, it's like, I don't know. I like it, but I also think there's like, there's like two, two schools of thought though. Cause there's people who are like very much against like sort of modernizing art and art forms because it's sort of like cheating. It's like it makes it too easy, but I also think it can be cool because it takes a lot of the challenging aspects out of it. Like, okay. I'm going to kind of, I mean, go on a little bit of a non sequitur, but I think it, it fits. Um, so like I have a degree from Columbia college and it ended up being in fiction writing and then like a minor in photography. Um, this is like in 2009, like I graduated in 2009. Um, but I remember I had initially wanted to be a film major there because I had studied an intensive film program through like public school and stuff in Chicago I was in high school. And I wanted to be like a filmmaker and like, and do photography as well. And I got there and I realized like the to do that stuff professionally, there's just this absolute financial inaccessibility. So there's like such a, there's such a big like gap between being like, whether or not you're able to actually do it and buy all the equipment that you need to be able to like make the kind of art that you want in those fields. And it was like in, it was like probably 2005 when I was in my first like uh, class that incorporated or 2006 when I was as a sophomore, when we incorporated like digital into it. And at the time I was like very against the digital and everything. And I really tried to hold on to like just doing the analog photography, black and white and everything. And like just dark room work and like shooting on film. But as I've gotten older, I've realized like that stuff is very cool. It's cool to have these kind of archaic skills, but in terms of accessibility, like things being digital has made things so much more like 
doable to everybody. Like all you need to be a filmmaker or a photographer and like, not obviously like you, you can use like a red you camera. Also, but you also have to like, I can tell you as an artist, digital art is harder. Okay. Yeah. And there are artists uh, out there that can relate because if you're somebody into industrial art, um, you know, creating structures, squares, rectangles, spheres. Uh, I know some really great artists that, you know, they make those like chrome spheres and they have like uh, the pool of water underneath, but it's hand drawn. It's really, really cool. And yeah. they kind of see like the reflection. Um, and then they do that in digital form. So they can do it like in a very minimalistic, you know, like two tone, just two colors representing the shadow and the light. Yeah. I, I I don't think it makes it easy. I think that's the wrong approach. I, I guess you can make it easy, but it also allows you to take art to a much more complex level. Digital yeah, art is just a whole different realm. Sorry. No, you're not wrong. But it also is like, at least with photography, it really leveled the playing field to have everybody have like a almost professional level camera on your phone. Like, and that creates so much more representation from different people in different communities that don't necessarily have as much money as a lot of these like rich kids that have like super nice fancy cameras. Like I could, I, there was a, there was a point where I just stopped being able to afford any of the gear that I needed. And like, I mean, I, you know, like even with student loans and stuff, when I, I mean, was in college, look, 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 look at us now. I mean, I'm, I literally work off of, 250 bucks I've been doing it. like we both can relate on this because as artists we've learned to be artists being scrappy you know okay. yeah like figuring out like what things we can put together to make it work you know because okay. like we don't we don't really have the money to I don't really have the money to spend like four or five thousand dollars on art and stuff. Oh no, I don't. I don't either. I mean, I've I've made a couple of bigger expenditures just because kind of like taking my business to the next level and stuff recently. Um, and it has been it's a weird feeling because I'm like I should I shouldn't be able to afford this thing, but I, I have to. <laughs> but anyway, my point with all, with that whole the whole yeah line sorry oh no you're totally cool but like my point with that whole thing is like. I used to be against like digital because I felt like it kind of did a disservice to like the, I don't know, the essence and like the, the almost alchemy of uh, like photography, like, like, like original, like, you know, photography, for example. But my perspective on it now is that like the fact that anybody can create photos and videos and like narratives and tell their story, I think is brilliant and beautiful and also super inspiring and necessary because it stops having the uh, narrative that is being told through the lens of the privilege of the person who has the equipment. And that's so big. And so stories stop being these things that are editorialized by some like, you know, rich white dude from the suburbs and start right. being like the actual person from the community who had lived the experience telling their story on their camera. And I think that that is like, that's like, like one of the biggest, like one of the most powerful and beautiful parts of like the sort of digital movement of art is just the fact that anybody can be a creator now. 
there's not there's not like it's not a gatekeeper thing as much anymore granted well, you're not making much money as people who, who are behind the gate but like you can still no. do it. well i mean it's also like uh, if you compare the worlds of 40 years to now um we've had to be scrappy in different ways it, we've had a lot more benefits because of digital rat pillow oh, like, number Oh, but where's the I'm tail? Not doing, I'm not doing the tail yet because that's a whole other step. But I'm doing a bunch. I'm I've made like I've made like 45 of these in the last 24 hours. It's crazy. But like I'm making a bunch of them just so I have a lot for the next few times that I'm selling. And so I'll do the ears and the tail. I'll probably like probably maybe later tonight. But for right now, I'm just making all these little potatoes. Little, little potatoes. Rat, little rat potatoes. Um, one. I'm going to count how many I make during this set. <laughs> We're going to count the, the rap pillows throughout the episode. You can just sit right here. <laughs> um, what was I saying? Uh, I was talking about, oh, 40 years, uh, 40 years. Um, but the thing is, is like we've, th these tools are expensive in the very beginning. You know, I'm one person that comes from a generation that can remembers when a fucking flat screen TV was $10,000, okay? $10,000, and that was 2008. That was a lot of money back in those days. Shit, I, mean, I, didn't, love. I didn't even know anybody with like a TV. I didn't know anybody. I, I knew one person. I mean, we... We had a CRTV for years, years. In 2008, I lived in an all-girl punk house that was full of anarchists, and we had one TV, and it didn't work very well. And it had a VCR, and we had one VHS of the of the movie The Max for some reason. Like, it was the, the MTV TV show, but, like, we had it compiled into one VHS movie, and it was our favorite thing. And we would all watch it all the time, over and over again. I don't know where it came from or why we even had it, but I absolutely loved it. It was my favorite. But that was like our experience of the TV. We were not like the tech kids of my generation at all. We were like the little dumpster diving, like fucking degenerates. <laughs> but none of us had a nice TV. That's my point. No, and it's, it's the point of where we've been able to benefit so much of the world. I, I'm one of those people that believe that technology can better help us understand nature. Because it allows us to, you know what? I just remembered. Uh, most people know this. There was the recent telescope that went up that was like 10 times the size of Hubble. And yeah. it had infrared. And I was listening to this on, um, on uh, a podcast. Um, and I, I like, you realize that, the benefit of technology is allowing us to see our universe. Okay. Yes. We're, we're, we're able to see the birth of stars and planets. Um, I feel this idea of repelling technology, you know, saying it's, you know, VR is bad and AI is bad. Maybe it is, but it does benefit us. We, you know, some of us abuse it, but, some of us actually use it as a tool. Yeah. No, right now it's not fucking working because of Mark Zuckerberg's fucking Facebook. Yes, mm. it's, it's not a, it's not an exact science yet. 
I mean, maybe it's technically, but it's not, it has not been whittled down and the, the issues have not been weeded yeah. out yet. I mean, I don't think there's, I don't think AI is inherently wrong. I think some of it is really interesting. I've definitely downloaded a couple of the apps and used them. Not this most recently, recent one. Um, but I see like, I see like people who are like more analog, like physical artists who are like, like, oh, like you should, you know, buy my art instead of doing this thing. And I'm just like, yeah, but like, it's also kind of interesting to see yourself through this lens and like, like my partner and I downloaded one and we were like doing a few different, it was like fine, like not this one, but like a, an older one. And like, it's, it's neat, but I also think, I don't know if it's harmless, but I think it's, I think it's very interesting what you're able to create. And well, so, remember, like, I, remember there's also different types of artificial intelligence. Yes. And so that was about to say, so like, there's the beautiful ones, like the fantasy ones and everything. And then there's like, so one of my favorite accounts for a while on TikTok was this woman, um, this Australian woman who used to do these um, AI generated uh, images of different psychological disorders. And it was beautiful and super haunting and super eerie. I'll post a link or something in this, in this. Uh, we'll we'll add a link uh, below in the description for any of our YouTubers and um, our podcast. Uh, pod yeah. I guess we're just calling our, them our groovy listeners. Can we call our audience the groovy listeners? Is our audience okay with that name? That all right? We'll figure. We'll figure it out. Yeah, for now. Yeah, but um, you know, really cool. And I thought that was really neat because it was like it was it was not and it wasn't making fun of it or anything. There was nothing no. meant to be respectful about it. Like I think it was coming from a very personal space for her. But so people would suggest different disorders, and she would just put them through the AI generator, and the results were sometimes like hauntingly beautiful, and sometimes just fucking terrifying. But each one was like, okay, yes, I see how that is you know, DID, or I see how that is bipolar depression, or I see how that is, you know, whatever. And like, that was really neat. And then there are other, there are these apps that are sort of like these horror generator ones. And those are interesting to me um, because they really create these absolute, just like nightmare hellscape kind of things, but also oddly familiar. Like you've seen this in a, in a bad dream. Well, and remember, then, remember, uh, remember how artificial intelligence works with these, uh, systems, you know, where you give them words and then they use an algorithm, like kind of like a, like kind of imagine like a dial, you know, spinning the numbers yes. and it puts all the pieces together. And then once it like gets the pieces, it, it literally like puts the pixel by pixel together to create oh, the picture. So one, so way before this new trend of AI art, like the apps came out, one of my favorite sites for like the past few years has been, um, it like you so like I love humans of New York like the real the real page on Instagram and you know just the internet in general I used to have a book of it um, but there's somebody created bots of New York so it's <laughs> that I that fed an AI generator like the book and then a bunch of like the other like like little vignette photo and like written pieces of like humans of New York and until it would like spit out these people and these things that sounded almost like humans of New York writing and like, like a, like a cadence. Um, so it's like, you're reading it and you're like, this is so close to reality, but then it would just be completely bonkers and off the wall. And it's fucking hilarious. And so it's all generated people's faces too. So the people don't exist. The stories aren't real, but they are because the only 
writing it was ever exposed to was humans of new york which if you've if you've ever gotten into it it like has a specific kind of cadence because while it's all the different people's stories it's still kind of like the guy who writes it still kind of writes it in you know he editorializes it to a degree it's not just like verbatim so it all has a bit of a cadence to it like a story sort of storytelling cadence and so these bots coming up with these completely off the wall bonkers uh concepts but like with the same kind of cadence of humans of new york and i thought it was absolutely brilliant I always, I always love when you have those brave comics that do the AI bit. Do we have a visitor? Uh, Saturn brought me dinner, but oh, wow, podcast, you know, it's cute. Well, well, I mean, I'm I'm kind of insulted because I didn't get any dinner, even I'm though sorry. I'm three thousand miles away. I'm like just saying, <laughs> you'll get it eventually. Eventually, yeah. Some somewhere over the rainbow, but I mean, like, uh, what was I saying again? I went off track. Um, talking about like AI, feeding AI different information, and then it's like, and then it taking it and turning it into its own bastardization of whatever the whatever the thing that you just fed well, it was. I mean, so you have to understand something like with. <laughs> Okay, this is the easiest explanation I can have to an AI-generated uh, picture. And I heard this from someone, and I really like this example. It says, imagine you have a puzzle that's a thousand pieces, okay? It says, imagine you have a person that they have a thousand puzzles in front of them, and they know how to take out from each of those puzzles a piece and create one entire picture. I was like, oh, okay, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. So now imagine, he says, you have the AI is this person that can take the thousand puzzles and take one piece out of a piece and create a picture. Now, the thing is, the AI doesn't give a shit as to what picture it gives you. No. Well, but it, gives you what, it gives you what you ask for. Right. I, I feel like that explanation to me is a little bit more confusing. <laughs> like, but I see what you're saying. It's not, it is, well, so, okay, so that's the other thing, too, is not all of it is completely, I don't want to say bipartisan. Some of it, like, so there there are some semi-sentient AIs currently. Do you know this? Yes. There's, there are two things I want to bring up. One is one is the, the first AI cryptid. Um, I forget what her name is, but it's this woman who started to appear in multiple different AI generations generating platforms um with the same face even like no matter how it's put through different like different suggestions and it's not a real person but there's it's said to be like a, the first ai generated cryptid where it's something that the ai recognizes re as real even though she never had a base in reality our reality so that's one thing i think is interesting because we're creating these these organisms that that the, the 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 artificial intelligence like program itself thinks is real but it isn't real that's one aspect the you other have, aspect is well you have to also okay so let's just put this out there and, and i'll let you finish your point the purpose of the algorithm the purpose of the ai is to do a task and to complete the task right right isn't that no, not necessarily. Some of them have different ones. So like, and also some of them are designed to have a different 
like a different purpose. Like obviously the little dumb apps that we're downloading for free or $6 on, you know, Apple <laughs> store, whatever, that's not the same thing as like real no. high level AI, but like, so there was one that I think it was like, um, I think it was like a Google AI, but they had like, so it was designed to have like a human personality and like, I want to say it's Google, but like it was designed to have like a human personality of like a little child. And it got so smart that they kind of had to just abandon it because it was so cognizant of its own existence. And so there are people who've worked on it who are coming out to talking, talking about it now because they're sort of like, what is this right to have created this? I think, art I think artificial intelligence will help us save the earth. Uh, I can say this because um, when I lived overseas, and uh, I have some family that that's uh, they have business in this is actually um, adding artificial into agriculture. So uh, a very big program that's been going on is with water reservation. Um, you know, if you have uh, a large field and you want to make sure, you know, you need to preserve your water for, you know, if you're in a place like Los Angeles, you know, uh, not Los Angeles, because you can't grow any anything in Los Angeles outskirts, you know, in the desert of California. Um, so this incredible system doesn't need to be plugged in or anything. It has, has sensors. It uses the natural environment around it and the program and the system that's designed around it works with the environment. What do I mean by this? It checks the soil, checks moisture, dryness, um, grains, microorganisms, it, it, it goes through everything, making sure the entire field functions and operates organically. This is a type of AI system that exists, uh, and it's very beneficial. Now, it's expensive. You can't grow like mass farms do because you're limiting... Um, of how much pesticides and uh, I did so many names. I, I, I'm too high to even think of all the names, but you get my point. You get my drift yeah. is what I mean. Yeah. Giggity. Giggity. Hi, Justin Miller. Um, Giggity. Yes. Giggity. Um, we, have, we have several people watching to, on my side. This is cool. Giggity. Um, I'm going just... to keep on saying giggity. If you just log in, this is our weekly podcast. We do live stream on Facebook, um, or I do on my page. And then um, we also, it's on Spotify later as well as several other. Uh, and YouTube. Spaces. We're on YouTube. Yes. But uh, welcome. Today we're talking about artificial intelligence and the role it plays in society and uh, certain concerns and reservations and thoughts about it. So I feel like something that worries me about it a little bit is like, so I understand the need for it and like real need for it in um, like agricultural things and more sci like scientific based issues that arise in the world. And I think that that's great. I think that it being, uh, you know, it being used as something that's like a supplemental form um, to like regulate like, you know, crops or to like monitor things or to like prevent dams from breaking or whatever. Like that, it's brilliant, it's awesome, it's perfect. But like where I think it's really interesting and where I'm a little bit like, mm, kind of like watching it is when we're talking about like sort of more like social and cultural components of it. Like 
it it has the ability because it just feeds it, it reads a lot of information and then it's able to spit out its own ver version of whatever it is that you're asking for based on everything it has read um from actual history but when you but it's able to create these things that seem extremely lifelike and like when you first look at them, you don't necessarily know that these aren't real things. And so for some of it, it's kind of like harmless, right? But like, what if they start to rewrite aspects of history books, for example, and history is already such a, like a, such a wiggly version of truth in reality based on whoever we had the winning side, but it's like, hardly. If, you know, obviously, <laughs> so like history is not necessarily based in like facts or reality of like, you know, everyone just of a certain specific group of people who happens to have won that that war but yeah. what happens when you have ai come in and create completely different and unrelated and i've seen some of these things this is the ones with there where i'm a little bit like hmm we're going a little bit far with this um and it's just completely generating a different timeline and so a lot of us see this and we really recognize that it's ai it's kind of fun it's like a game it's a game to see this other reality that has been created by this uh by this like you know app program but what happens when people are not able to recognize it? What happens when it gets so good that it really feels like it's reality? So and I'll, tell you, I'll tell you something. There was a, I'm very ashamed of this, but I'm going to admit this because I have fucking balls. I think I still have one left. Um, I joined a program uh, over a year ago. It was about 30 or $40 a month. They basically create an artificial intelligence-like partner. Yes, I've seen these things. Um, I'll be very honest. At first, you kind of ease into it. And then for me, I lasted, I lasted exactly 31 days. And I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle it because they literally picked someone or something that I would have totally connected with in the real world yeah. but to a point where it feels too, I don't even know what the word is. It's too. Um, Did it give you the heebie-jeebies? Yeah, and it's like <laughs> it's a, it's a world that I know that can never exist. Let's just put it at that. Yeah, well, but I mean, yes, but like I feel like it, there have been dudes trying to marry their avatars in World of Warcraft for like two two decades. Some people don't care that it can't ever exist because they don't want it to. They want to. They they would rather upload into that reality than have that reality down to load into this world. Like. That's something that I feel like people have been debating and working and like, you know, trying to figure out and talking about for a long time because like not everybody is really digging this reality. I mean, I think it's pretty cool, but I also recognize it's really difficult. And some people think it's really something that they don't want to do. So like if presented with the opportunity to just upload your, you know, your cognizance into something that's like a less shady version of meta, and then you can have the ideal partner and the ideal job and live in like, you know, something amazing space and everything. And you can have like a pet, like unicorn or whatever, like, would you want to just do that and opt out of your shitty life? I guess so. But I think 
I think it's also important to still be connected to the. Here's the video that you would want to do this, but yeah. I'm saying I understand the appeal for some people. No, I understand the appeal. I'm just saying the other appeal of where there are people, I believe, that have the same philosophy where you can mesh the that's our producer Twix in the background. <laughs> yes. Um, we have. We can make a mesh. We can mix the technology with the world around us. And what I mean by that is I may be never alive to see this like a holodeck, you know? Can you imagine? I would love this. I would love to just like make an artificially intelligent entire VR like scenario where I'm like boogie woogie, you know, it's like 1973, you know, down at the disco. Um, I don't know, but I'm just saying like it, what I said earlier was it, it's a way of allowing a positive way of allowing people to express themselves, um, being able to create things differently. Um, what happens when, what happens when a bunch of like incels and proud boys get their hand or they have, you know, somebody who's generating who has their sort of ethos in mind and they're able to create an alternative reality where the germans won world war ii what happens when you have like mm. what happens you know what i mean like there are so like it's, well, it's, people it's, have freedom though honey you know that you can you, you can't like, it no longer because it becomes tampering with history and whether or not you're actually creating like you know, a, t a time machine to go back in time and change history. Like you're creating essentially the next best thing, which is artificial evidence of history being different than what everybody remembers it to be. The, the, the predecessor, the predecessor to that is the man in the high castle, which is an excellent book. Um, definitely a good read. Uh, they also made it into a television series. It is that high. It's, it's, you know what I'm talking about. I do. I started watching it when I, or reading it when I was like 11. I never finished it. It's, oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. It, okay. It's, it's tragic because in the book, Germany wins the war. Like, literally, like what you're saying, like, um, you know, I, I think a VR version actually would be the man in the high castle if you think about it. What other version would they use? Cause it's already been made. You know what I mean? Usually these type of creations are variations of something from the past. You know, like a typewriter became an electric typewriter. An electric typewriter became a computer. See what I'm going with this? It's where yeah. the same idea is reused over and over again and then is just more and more advanced over time. A trope. Yeah, exactly. Creative trope. I, when I was in high school and college, I wrote two two different, but very similar pages or um, papers on um, what it means to be human based on uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep and the concept of robots, you know, fighting to exist in in a world that d doesn't want them, and what is more human than fighting for survival. Whereas the humans like trying to create these augmented realities to escape reality and kill the beings that wanted the most to be human. 
and what humanity, you know, what does it really mean to be human? What is humanity something, you know, to have humanity as a noun is every human being. Humanity as an adjective is like empathy and love and compassion and, and treatment. They're two different so, things. They are two different things. Oh, we got number two. two. Yeah, we got number two. We got two rat. Rat potatoes. Rat potatoes. Rat. Three rat potatoes down. Yeah. <laughs> up to number three. Um, where was I going with this? You were saying, oh, so human being. Okay, so human beings. We can twist things to our own perspective. I'll give you a great example of this. Segregation is a great example of this. All right. Their belief was it's better for our community if we have the people that we know and we trust. And it's better for them because they get to be with the people that they know and they tr trust. That's the twist. See what they did over there? They 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 did a negative by basically forcing their young generation to have no connection with diversity or exploration of other cultures. Yes. And they use it to their own will. So we humans like to twist things, whether it's say, oh, AIDS, it's fine. It's killing the gays. Who cares? That kind of shit. You're able to twist things to your own benefit. So I get your point of where they're twist, you know, it's going to twist history, but that shit's already happened. People have twisted everything already, and we know this. Like, but like, it will if it twists history in a way that seems extremely real and plausible. It can completely do. It can do things like eliminate the Emancipation Proclamation, or like, like redraw borders in we'll, certain parts. We'll be nuked by then. If that ever happens, we'll be we'll be gone. We'll be sitting on our beach chairs holding hands while the atom bombs go off. <laughs> I, necessarily, though, things happen so fast. Especially when the bomb is going off and you see the mushroom growing. Yeah. Then you know you're fucked. You got like 13 seconds. <laughs> That's true. Wow, that was a dark turn. This was just what I was thinking. This is the stuff that I was thinking about, like, but also, there's other aspects of it as well. I'm curious about the cryptid thing. I want to see where that goes. Because after that, though, I, I started getting, obviously, advertisements about the show, but also about him, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, I don't want these. But then there was, like, one day, like, a month or something afterwards, there was an ad that popped up that was an AI generator, and it said something about Jeffrey Dahmer. I was just like, it's weird. And, I looked, and like, I was scrolling. I was, like, peeing or something. I was like, I like, oh, <laughs> I love and this. Like, I know. And like, and then I see as I'm like, <clears throat> as it's almost underneath my phone, it says like, what does the inside of Jeffrey Dahmer's mind look like? And I was like, huh. And I scroll back up for like two seconds and I start to see it. And I'm just like, that is like, that is a bridge too far. There's no reason that we need to do that. <laughs> like there's no, there's no. nothing that we're going to gain by looking into that. There's nothing that we need to see. So no. I unfollowed the app. Good for you. Good for you. Dude, Actually. Like, yeah. I was like, I there's things that I could Google that I would never be able to unsee. You know, there's things, I mean, I'm, I'm a writer and I've written some, 
I write some positive stuff, but I've written some dark stuff too. My brain has gone to all the different corners of, of the light and the darkness of the universe. And like, I can imagine shit that I would not want to see and not be able to forget. It doesn't mean that I should create it. Just because we can doesn't mean we should. I mean, I, I can say this like, even with like my music, uh, which I'm not a great singer, but I try. And um, I play guitar. It's not that great, but I do try. And um, it's good. It, thank you. Uh, I I write very dark music. You know, I wrote a song called Weirdos and Freaks, which is actually the only song I've ever published. It's actually on SoundCloud. Um, I've never told anybody about this except like close people. I don't know why. It's like it's public, but yeah, you can go listen to it. Um, for me, like m- my depression is my guitar. I-, I feed my depression in there and it creates dark and sad music. And I don't know, it like for me, that makes me happy. And it's like, what the fuck? And like, because I'm expressing a part of myself, I, I generally can't express, you know? Oh, yeah. When I was, when I was a teenager going through like, you know, living in like a fucked up home and then also like going like aspects of like, you know, depression and like I was a cutter and stuff like that. And like, you know, like had like just like tons of different things that were going on, like chaotic things. Like my outlet was writing stories and I would write really dark stuff. And like, I still write kind of depressing shit. Like I write books and like, they're not, they're not like negative, but they're heavy. They're always very heavy topics. And I think that, but like, if you talk to me, I'm like kind of a goofball and like, I joke around a lot. I'm like, usually, you know, like usually unless I'm stressed out about something, I'm usually in like a pretty good high spirits. I'm mm-hmm. like just being a bird and like trolling people about something or whatever, making fun of dust and dumb shit. And like, <laughs> I think that that's because- so true. It's true. And I think it's so true. I have the outlet of being able to create these really heavy things and to explore really heavy emotions and, and situations and experiences and put my characters through these things and have them learn these lessons and like have them yeah. go through the experience of these things. But it's not like it's, it's like, and it used to be dark when I was younger. And when I was going through the, some of the, like some of the darkest stuff in my own life, I didn't write about my own personal experiences, but the stuff that I put my characters through was, was really intense. And I think that that is like what kind of, this is what we talked about on the episode too, about Jeffrey Dahmer, where it's like, if you are able to take, you know, if you're able to channel, if you're able to channel your like darkness into art, into creativity, then you're able your inner to, demon. yeah, you're, you're able to transmute it and turn it into something that's positive and not have it wreak havoc in the world. Although, you know, as I was saying, this is the reason I just paused is because I heard a podcast this past week that kind of um, reformatted my thinking around that. And I want to get into that in a second. Um, but a uh, quick shout out, actually, we, we just, uh, Inner Demons was an episode we actually did on the podcast. Uh, we did that with Henry. Uh, so another shout out, uh, go check it out. Uh, it's, it was a great episode. Uh, no video, but it is on Spotify and Apple podcast. But mm-hmm. yeah, what about this podcast that you were listening to? Because now I'm very curious. My, my high brain was like, ooh, podcast heard. Let me hear. Mm. Um, it's called the it's called the root of evil 
Ooh. And I, I love true crime. I love true crime. I yeah. fucking love true crime. Yeah, they're amazing. They are. So this one is, is a special one. So this is written, this one is produced by two members of the same, or not, but like, I don't know if it's produced by, but it's created by two members of the same family. And that family is the descendants of uh, George Hodel. George Hodel is the murderer of the Black Dahlia, um, mm-hmm. which is only recently, the, the Black Dahlia murder in LA back like hundred like 80 years ago, seven years ago. Oh. Yeah. It was never solved until more recently when his family, after he's he died, kind of put all the pieces together. And then his son wrote a book about it, um, about like trying to prove what happened. And there's all, it's crazy. There's all this evidence tying it back to him and his ties to like the police and to all these different like cultural and social movements at the time. Um, but I'm going somewhere with this. And that is just like, I, I, before I know I was you are, like, honey, I'm, I'm holding on. Before I was, before I heard this, I was thinking about like, Yes, if you're able to channel, you know, darkness into art, then it kind of alleviates it of the heaviness and it transmutes it and turns it into something else. But then I heard this and basically like George Hodel was like this. He was like this really absolutely brilliant, but also like kind of spoiled like rich kid from in who grew up in Hollywood in like the you know, ni- like 1890s or something, 1900s. Like this is a lot. This is like early old school Hollywood era. And so he like and he like early. You know, Honey, early Hollywood area, because like this is when Hollywood was built, like nineteen oh seven. No, I said I said early Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, early, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) Um, It's like old school, like beginning Hollywood stuff, which is like you know, and like that's where that's around where I forget what the exact year of Black Hollywood was. We'll put it in. I don't remember. I know. Yeah, but it was it was like not the first. It was not silent film era, but it wasn't that far after that. Um. But like, basically, he graduated early, a bunch of crazy shit. Um, like you know, had kind of a propensity towards like intense things, very creative, but also extremely scientifically driven. Like brilliant pianist, mother forced him into science and and music. He didn't really want to do it when she died. He was like, "Fuck this, never touch the piano again." And then he he was really taken. <laughs> my synopsis. Really, really taken with the surrealist movement, and he thought it was like absolutely beautiful and super super cool. Who didn't, right? And then he was, and so he like to do some like surrealist photography and like he really tried to make a name for himself reputation as an artist blah blah blah. and like no one and like people liked him but they just didn't really love his art so he was like oh fuck this and so he became a doctor and he became the head of venereal disease uh control in la back in the day back in early hollywood era and he like through that he developed a lot of sway and importance in hollywood and in los angeles and he became friends with a lot of influential people. So obviously members of the government and everything and police and everything else. So he was able to fly under the radar with pretty much everything he did. Um, and he did a lot of illegal shit. Like, and some of it was like back alley abortions and stuff, which unfortunately was the only way to do that back then. Some of it was just like, you know, you know, prescription drugs. And like, you know, like there was a bunch of like weird fraud stuff too. But this, this is where I'm going with this is that one of his best friends was the uh, one of the pioneers in the surrealist movement, Man Ray. If you don't know his name, Google his work, and you've seen homage to this or images of this, for like it's something that's yeah. extremely recognizable. 
And um, so Man Ray and him were like, not just like friends, like super tight, like hung out all the time friends. This guy is throwing like these sort of crazy BDSM sex parties in front of his children. Man Ray photographed his 12 year old daughter naked. Like these, like one of the people who used to go to the parties and party with these people was Henry Miller, who I love, but you know, he's, he's a bit of a pervert and like, like, which sucks because it's another art artist thing. I think he's one of the most brilliant writers, but also like, you know, he's done, he's, he's notably kind of not great. <laughs> Um, socially, but you know, Men Ray and Henry Miller and Wait, Henry other- Miller was cancer. Tropic of cancer. Tropic of cancer. Right. Yeah. And he was like, I think he was queer too in that whole scene. Well, I his think- gay, his gay literature, especially yeah. for me, honey, it, it turns me on. Like he's, he's good. Me too. It's absolutely beautiful. And he was part of that whole era of like Anais Nin and everything too, where they just all wrote about this very beautiful taboo stuff. And like the surrealists did beautiful taboo stuff as well. All about like sort of dehumanization and like, like, you know, like depersonalization and like the disconnection of humanity and the human body a lot of the time where the body would be segmented into these different sections. It would be kind of like, you know, deconstructed in a sense, turned into something that was an object. But it did it in a way that wasn't like violent, particularly. It was just abstract. Like surrealism is beautiful. It's absolutely like, you know, it's like one of the most monumental movements. It was the thing that inspired me, one of the things that inspired me the most as like a teenager and like, yeah, you know, in college. Like it was like truly probably one of the most like it's, that and like that. It was like, yeah. it's the double, remember I said this before, it's the double edged sword. It's where you get a, um, you get, you know, Ross Safarian, you get, the the sharps and trads right and then you get the skinheads yes okay well, but 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 i'm not i don't want to like go into that what i'm the point i'm trying to say is is where you have the two sides of where you have the ones that are pursuing the positive and the ones that are just leeching on and they didn't even do anything like they didn't start the movement they don't like even know what the fuck is going on. They just like like the look or whatever, and then they just they just wing with it. Well, he was a little bit different because he was like off the charts brilliant. Like he had an IQ of one eighty six when he was a teenager, and he was just a frustrated failed artist. He was never recognized the way that he wanted to be. So he just surrounded himself by all of these brilliant friends, and he just kind of did was able to get away with whatever he wanted because he created such a sphere of influence around him. Um, and these people like would participate in these crazy parties, like really what listen to the podcast. It's root of evil. And it's about the one about the black alley murders. And it's like two of his grandchildren, I believe, or like, like that are like narrating the story. It is fucking wild. Also, these one of my absolute favorite songs by David Lynch in the beginning of each episode. You know, we, we could, we could reach out to the podcast that would be cool. Yeah, we should. Yeah, we, we, we should. Yeah, we could. That's actually not a bad idea. I mean, we like, could. like the thing is about us, like we're we're deep dive, okay? And we we <laughs> we mentioned this from the beginning. But what I love about, and we're gonna tie this back to um, artificial intelligence later on the episode. But what I love about these true crime um, podcasts are. 
it's not about the suspense. It's about the story. You get hooked on the story and you just like, okay, so she went through and like, what happened? Okay. So she went through like, did, did he talk to her? Wait a minute. Like, did they have sex? Oh my God. Did, did he, I love that. And then you just want to keep on hearing more and more until you have the whole story. It's it's amazing. But so, okay. So like, so the black dog herself. So he, so dude, Hodel killed other people as well, but the one he's most well known for, or he wasn't known, but it was very well known was the actual murder of the woman that was referred to as black Dahlia, who was like a young Hollywood, like wannabe starlet who came to him for something like, uh, probably an, maybe an abortion. I forget what I don't write it. I really didn't pay that much attention to the, this case. Like I knew it vaguely, but like I learned more about it from this podcast, but like he came to her, she came to him for something that was like actually medical related. And for some reason he just switched on her and decided to like put her through just completely inhumane torture for like a long time. This is TMI for some people probably just tor- trigger warning. Um, I'm going to put a, um, I'm, I'm starting to do this with a podcast. I want to put up parental guidance sticker on the episode so this is not made for kids yeah literally trigger warning for people who might be like sensitive to stuff or like you know, yeah like, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna do that, that yeah that's a crazy thing i was trying to be like how do i gesture to this but then i realized it looked bad um for people who are sensitive to um certain graphic information yes so he drank, drank her body of blood did a bunch of crazy like unnecessary surgeries on her but bisected her body in a way that was like like a super super high level surgeon thing that he was a surgeon like who super like all of it was like this is done by a medical professional and then like obviously like slit her mouth and everything and that's what everybody knows but what they don't talk about is the layout of where how people how they found her so he set her body up in an extremely intentional way that was an homage to one of man ray's most famous photographs called the minotaur and it was with woman cut in half like, I mean, image is surrealism, obviously. So she was not actually cut in half. It was just like black or something, you know, and like her arms above her head, like in a surrender and then her legs separated from her body. And after he killed Elizabeth Short, that's how he positioned her body for people to find just off the walking path right underneath the Hollywood sign. It was absolutely commentary. And it was just, it was chilling because it was literally, it was just, it was a literal visual like like complete visual reference to that image and a like i feel like a twisted kind of hello to everyone he was friends with in that movement like that was his ultimate work of art like oh you guys aren't going to take me seriously as an artist look at this and fucking sicko i know but like that's what i think was but the thing is, everybody who was friends with him in that movement probably recognized it. And nobody did anything Jesus. about it. They didn't find out. Nobody found out about it until his own kids discovered this after his death and tied all the pieces together. Because he had like three different, he had like two different families and they were all super twisted. They're it's insane. It's a crazy podcast. So you should go listen to it. But like nobody, um, he never got brought to justice. And it was just his, it was his, son who was a detective who was able to put all the pieces together like you know decades more than half a century later there's there's so many examples of that like even today uh you know that that guy uh, that had that women in, i think it was in cleveland he had like uh them in for like 16 years mm-hmm. and they escaped and what was his name 
Castro or something. I can't remember. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe tell me the story. So the story was they were, I think he was a bus driver. um, And he told these girls to get in the car. He was going to take them home. And then he locked them in his basement. And he chained them up. And then like one of them, are we ready to put in the explicit content? So it's fine. Um, one of them, he would constantly like have sex with her and basically like, you know, molest her and then rape her. And uh, she would get pregnant and have constant miscarriages. Yes. And you know what happened to him? Died in prison. He didn't get to rot and sit and wither and suffer for the rest of his miserable life. Yeah. He had a quickie. It sucks. I know. Well, fucking George Hodel, like once he he like basically admitted to these murders, there were there was there were recordings in uh, microphones in his walls. And he basically admitted to this and but he was so high up in the food chain in LA um that he never got in trouble for it and he was able to kind of disappear and he created a second like he created an entirely secondary family that wasn't that like was treated very differently than his first and um he kind of just dropped off the face of the earth at least at least from the u.s or from la for a while and uh i forget where he had his second family but it was not in the continent it was not in the 48 connected states it might have been hawaii but it might have been another country i can't remember i'm sorry um and like he, he had a lot of money. Let, let's just put it put it at that. Oh, he was yes. a very well, he was super wealthy. He was wealthy to begin with, and he was also very successful. Um, and connected to C- everybody. cutting up people into yeah. pieces for pictures. Yeah, I know. I know it's crazy. It's um, disgusting. It is, it is. It is disgusting. But when you're studying surrealism in like in college or art history class or whatever, that's not something that's discussed. And I feel like that kind of has to be discussed too. Yeah. It, of that movement like like you're saying man right you have to talk about the fact that he was literally best friends with one of the most like horrific serial killers in united states history in that century those are not separate things i mean also like my experience with surrealism is very different i maybe it's the kind of surrealism that i'm into you know i'm more into confrontational perspective visual nomination um a twisted view a different perspective different perspective i'm talking about like yeah you know those uh the surrealist piece where you just have a chair and i was one i remember i saw it was pretty much the role in like earth tones like the whole entire piece with earth tones and there's just a chair you see a frame of a door. Everything was very eerie. You know what I mean? You get my, you get my drift? Yeah, and well, uh, realism is all about creating things that are like basically what you would see in a dream state. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're right. That's literally. No, I mean, that's not my interpretation. That's literally what it is. Like, surrealism is meant to be a manifestation of the subconscious and of the dream, like, uh, the dream, the dream states, like tangible dream states. So, yeah, I mean, I, I love different aspects of it. Man Ray was not my favorite, but I feel like his proximity to that is noteworthy. 
Yes. In the same way that you can't separate like Marilyn Manson, if you like love his early work, which I really, I do love his early work. Like if you love his early work, you can't separate that from like, you know, the overweight cokehead who like wrote an obsession album about Evan Rachel was and uh, like abused his, his later wives. Like you can't separate those things. Like you can appreciate something that somebody did, but you still have to have in the same scope of, of an out, like of, understanding I mean, for like i mean for some of our uh some of our other fans and you can take an example of like iggy pop right you know he was part of the stooges uh, which was like the frontier of punk rock as we know it and he was a he was a really fucked up individual it was so bad you know the fun house of the stooges the walls were splattered with blood because of the amount of heroin they used to inject in their veins, it just was splurred out. And um, I mean, he—I he, mean, his early work was fucking fantastic, but it comes from a really fucking dark place. Really some dark. Yeah. But it, ha- yeah. it just—you just can't—you just can't look at it in a vacuum. I guess is all I'm saying. Like, no, you can't. The, the darkness is part of the art yeah the story the process of how you got to that place is part of the piece itself i believe yeah but like so he basically this dude dies um or he lives until he's like 90 something like he's like he had a long happy life like and he was like and like he died in his san francisco apartment over and his apartment was overlooking a grave i guess who's who was buried in that grave he was black dahlia oh did he want to be buried with her too he committed suicide in his apartment that was positioned where her grave was visible he committed suicide like yeah like 60 years later it's a really twisted story it just gets more and more twisted the more you listen to it you're just like this is and it's like a piece of U.S. history and like kind of counterculture history that was not, not unearthed until very recently, considering how long ago it happened. It's wild. We, I just have to say, I mean, for a deep dive, we went from showing a picture, talking about <laughs> our art, you know, like being dark, and then we talked about this story for long time um but i mean like to tie back to artificial intelligence the the stories that we're saying these scenarios can happen can you imagine if you have somebody that is a serial killer and uh they know how to work technology, okay? They they know how to build programs and computers to handle artificial programs. Okay, and like, this is a very weird example that I'm giving. But I'm saying this because this kind of shit could happen. I mean, you've had people in the past that were surgeons, butchers, um, 
doctors. Yeah. So who's to say, like you're saying, that one of these people can utilize artificial intelligence to be able to kill people very easily. Totally. And like you said, I mean, like you said, like this person had a lot of power, you know? So if you have somebody that has a power of dealing with artificial intelligence and, uh, and they're savvy and they're really good. I mean, you're fucked. Here's number three. Number three. Oh, wow. Pillow. Wow, that took a long time. What number three? No, all three of them. Each one takes about fifteen to twenty minutes to make. Ooh. I do them by hand. I will one day do sewing machine. I have it. It's sitting right there on my desk. I just really like the sort of meditative quality of doing it by hand. Eventually, down the line, I really hope to have a little catnip toy for Twix. Yes. Oh, it will happen. It will probably happen sometime after the winter holidays because I need to focus on shop stuff. But I'll probably make it. I'll make it within the next month and ship it to Florida. <laughs> yeah, because I live out here in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like that was my that was my tie-in um, back to artificial intelligence. And again, we're not only trying to put out these scary thoughts. So you can have, you know, the boogie monster coming out of your goddamn closet. Because, honey, I'm going to be drinking with them tonight. Anyway. <laughs> well, and I don't even see it as, like, it's not like, like, these aren't, like, scary stories to me. These are just things to be aware of, like, when utilizing something that's such a brilliant, like, development. Right. Like, it's amazing stuff, but it's, like, Everything wonderful has aspects of darkness in it. It's the same thing. Be able to look at those things honestly. It's the same thing in science. It's where you're not disproving. You're not disproving this fact. All you're saying is this fact has limits, and we've reached the limits with this material that's been given to us. Now we have to use that. You know what I'm saying? It's not where we're we're discrediting it. We know, you know, we know what we need to do. We know our moral rights. Well, and also I think it's important to remember, like, aside from maybe the the child, the AI of the child stuck in the Google computer, um, aside from things like weird anomalies, um, technology is neutral. It's morally and ethically neutral. It has to be. Well, right. That's what I'm saying. It, it is, it is whatever you attribute to it because it is, it is as moral and ethical. It is as ethical as the person who is using it because it itself is not meant to be nothing other than an information service. Which, and which we are providing to, to, huh? which we are providing to. Yeah. But it's like, if you have somebody good wielding this information service, then or not good. I don't. I don't believe in like good and bad in terms of that kind of stuff. But if, if you have somebody who's like an, a moral, ethical person, like humanitarian person, then it's going to be used for that kind of that kind of purpose. If you have somebody who is unethical, who desires to hurt or desires power, then that's what it's going to be used for. It itself is neutral, just like anything right. is neutral. Like any any non sentient object or thing 
is neutral. It is only the um, the sort of ethos and the the energy of the person that is using it that makes it good or bad. It's like a microphone, right? A microphone is a great example because it's neutral. Yeah. If somebody decides to speak splur slurs, sorry, and hate speech, you can't say a microphone is bad, but stupid because I need my microphone. Thank you. And, but this person, so maybe that's a good point to point out is, is that people have free will. Okay. You can do whatever the fuck you want and there's bad and you know, there's good and bad. Right. But you cannot blame the tool or the vessel, or whatever thing that they're doing as the issue. It's, that's not the issue. No, the issue is the person who's wielding it. Exactly. This is this is something that's like I feel like I don't want to just like you know <laughs> drop, drop a drop a match and walk away because we're nearing the end of this. But like gun control, for example. Yeah, right. Gun control, for example. So like I don't really dig guns. Like I've shot them a couple times. I'm not like there's a lot of people I know that are like adamantly against them, and I know there are other people I know who are like pro gun. I'm pro gun regulation. But I also mm -hmm. understand, I also, I think that it should be much, much more difficult to get a gun. Um, like, why is it harder to get, like, drugs for your mental health than it is to get a gun? It's insane. Um, like, do you know how many tests you it's have to true. For, yeah. for people to go through their insurance companies? Do you know how many tests and how long you have to wait? to get medication right right, right here literally yeah. I'm, I'm like yeah. we've been talking about like i i'm not gonna go through this but i have a few conditions and i'm dealing with blood tests and waiting for results and i feel like shit most of the time and it's yeah. stressing me the fuck out and i can relate to this like certain things are easier to get and other things are harder because of insurance or whatever, whatever the fuck you want to call it. I don't care. Um, but remembering process, there's a regulatory process to these things, but when you're buying a gun, there's not anywhere near as much of a regulatory process to it. Like you have to prove so much about yourself and get so many tests and so much like approval saying that like you, you know, you deserve to get, ADHD medication, but if you want to get a firearm, it's all good. You know, all you need is like a Ford card and like not, you know, I don't even like th there's like <clears throat> a couple of requirements and you can get it. And like, but like kind of I don't want to totally Sorry. delve into the gun. Oh, I don't want to totally delve into the gun topic, but like I do feel like it's kind of, you know, kind of worth okay. mentioning. <laughs> is the thing itself evil or so, is it the person who's using it? Okay, so um, I mentioned this many times already. I'm a toker and a stoner and a smoker. Um, especially when it comes to cannabis, because I'm a, I'm a heavy cannabis user. I, I have a routine. And um, for me, it, it, it helps clear my mind, especially if, you know, with pain and, and different things. And um, it helps me like kind of be able to focuses on what's important but the problem is is that we live in a society where stoners are like hey man can i get some cheetos bro 
Like we're just a bunch of stupid dumbasses, and we're not. Some of us are actually like really fucking talented, work our butts off, okay, and actually like give a shit. And we're not like I want some fucking Cheetos, man. No, well, because there's, I mean, yeah, well, just like anything, it's not the thing itself. It's how, it's how you use it and why. Exactly. Yeah. I was just having this conversation. So like I, so I quit drinking alcohol like almost three years ago, um, Mm -hmm. three years ago in January. I was not an alcoholic. Um, I definitely was, but I was definitely like a party kid. I I definitely have been partying since I was a, a teenager and I, and I love party. I love partying. I was not like an every night drinker or anything, but I was like a, you know, a binge drinker or whatever. Like I would just, I would drink at parties and like drink. Margarita and pina colada, honey. You go girl. Super fun. But like at a certain point I was like, this is not working. I just don't want this anymore. It wasn't even like, it was not like a, this isn't working moment. It was just like, I had like a lot, kind of like a party, like last weekend kind of weekend with a friend of mine who was visiting in town. And she was like, she, she had quit drinking, uh, like, you know, the, the year previously and stuff. And we had this conversation like five in the morning last night that she was here. And like, we were just talking about, it. I was just like, I think about quitting tonight. She's like, well, you, I mean, you can always quit. And then if you want to drink again, you can just always drink again. And I was like, it's simple. And is like, is like painfully and annoyingly simple as that statement is. It's also a statement that you never hear. Like, no, literally, like you never hear that statement because people are like, once you quit, it's like becomes this like demonizing thing. Oh, you can never, and it's just like, no, wait, you're right. Like, this is just a thing. If I don't want to do this anymore, I don't have to do this anymore. And if I feel like having a drink or something, I can totally have a drink because it's just a thing. It doesn't have any power unless they give it power. So it's the same, it's the same thing where people have the fear of virtual reality taking over our, our, um, our world. And we have to remember that in the distant future, we're going to accept that reality, but there's still going to be people that say, okay, you know, I get time to spend in virtual reality. And then I also get to spend time in the real world. Even knowing, even knowing that the world is shitty and there's a lot of fucked up shit because there are people that still are like, you know what? I want to go for a real walk. You know, I I don't know. I I, I want to go down and go to the fucking CVS. I, I don't know. Because I feel boring today. You have those people, but then you also have, like, you know, the, like, 28-year-old dudes living in their mom's basements, like, with a pile of, like, code red and menthol cigarettes, like, around their computer where they play World of Warcraft for 23 hours a day, who would happily upload their brains to a computer. If given the opportunity, it's a lot of code red. Both. Have you ever seen photos of like gamer hoarders? It's wild. Gamer. Like some of the some of the and nothing. No offense to gamers. Obviously, they're really cool gamers too. And I understand that this is probably more rooted in like mental illness and stuff than just like you know being a messy. Not person. all gamers are like that, though. No, some of them are totally cool, and I know people who do it, but like. I guess I'm saying there's like, there's like photos of like some, some gamers like bedrooms where it's like literally just like a mountain of trash and like a like sheetless mattress that's covered in stains and like just piles of like fast food and like, like, uh, 
Mountain Dew and like energy drinks and sometimes alcohol and cigarettes and pizza boxes just surrounding this like cold computer light. It's a very powerful statement. But there are people, my point is not to say there's anything wrong with these people. Maybe, you know, maybe some therapy or something. I but, could see some issues, but yeah, go on. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not supporting it, but I'm also not trying to be like, these people are fucked up. But like, those people, like guys like that will probably, it's mostly guys, but like. Sometimes women. Sometimes it is, yes. And sometimes it's non-binary people. Anyway. It people depends. Like <laughs> yes. People all like people. That. All people, y'all, is all people. <laughs> people of all different backgrounds <laughs> who live in situations like that will probably happily upload their consciousness to a machine and not want to take the walk to the corner store ever again, is what I'm saying. That, like, while there are people who are always going to be like, I want to touch the world around me, there are lots of people who are going to be like, fuck that. I just don't want to exist in this anymore. You know what I would love in a distant future? Cause like I have my cat and, and as cute as fluffy as she is, I'm going to outlive her. And I know this, but wouldn't it be cool? Like in the distant future where you can have like this digital screen and you can upload a artificial version of your pet and they're in the frame. You know, and it's just like, it's a way of like having a part of them, still a part of you. Yeah. And I know for some people, like, they would like, oh, fuck no. Like, I don't want anything. But I, I would love to have something like that. And, but it's not real. No. But to you, it is. To you, it's Well, it's real in that. <laughs> It's like um, it's like the it's like the velveteen rabbit, the velveteen rabbit parable, right? Like mm -hmm. what what makes something real? It's like when when you've when you you've lost all your fur and like your eyes are your your button eyes hanging out and like you know like basically saying like it's love that makes you real. It's not like how good of a quality toy you are in that case, but it's like it's it's like only after you have been kind of you know. like truly like loved and you and like like a like a like i don't know dragged around by a little child somewhere you become like a real rabbit <laughs> do you remember what i'm talking about i feel like i'm explaining stupidly but it's like it's like there's like a quote about it sometimes every like few years it's people... it's it's something that uh i think i only was exposed to it because of the community i lived in but like i think you gotta be like in your mid to late 20s to remember that to be honest i that might i mean i am 36 yeah so, so yeah and i i do yeah i do I, I i do know what you're talking it's just like it's hilarious because like we as humans always thrive for this like connection you know like we want that and we'll do anything to have that and once you get fixed, yeah, fixed. It's very hard. It's very hard to get yourself out of it because fixation is like, it's like fucking crazy glue. 
It's hard to get that shit off, honey. I've tried. You didn't hear me? Fixation. Fixation. Yeah. Fixation. Ah. I fuck, I don't speak good English, honey. I'm sorry. Fixation. I was I was not I wasn't being like like you know, grammar or Nazi. I was trying to be like, what are you what I want to get what you're saying. But um, what I'm what I'm trying once to once you're satiated, you're saying then it's hard to want anything else because you get you get the feeling that you've been searching for. It's the euphoria. It's the belief of that. That's the ultimate happiness. That That's the utopia, even though it's pure fiction. My friend said fix, like getting a fix, like somebody who's like a junkie or something. Yeah, that's what I meant. Like I was trying to do like in a jokey way, but I kind of <laughs> fucked up the joke like I kind of always do. <laughs> I felt like I had the concept, but I was like, what is the word? word?" It's like, it's something that like is hard to, to say it because it just sometimes can just like come off as like, what? Um, but yeah, I mean that that's, that's kind of the point, right? Is you can have this belief of the ultimate utopia. You put on, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, extremely expensive uh, quest goggles or Oculus, whatever Oculus, whatever. I, I don't know. I don't know the names of this shit. And uh, what? There's a theory going around. That the reason that he shut down Meta is not because it was doing badly, but, but because, or like at least one of the components was because the person who created Oculus designed a video game that kills you in real life if you die in the video game. And Zuckerberg was just like, fuck that. We're not doing that. Wait, so they changed it from meta? It's no longer meta? He's canceling the entire program. You don't know about this? No. He, he admitted defeat. He put in like $9 billion, or $900 billion, $900 billion, I think, like into creating the metaverse, and no one uses it. It's like there's a lot of ads for it, but no one's actually using the metaverse. And then the guy who created the Oculus, who is like, um, I forget I don't know his name, but like he was like the creator of that. He He's kind of a little bit of a twisted dude. And like he just, because you can, for the same reason that you create like an AI of Jeffrey Dahmer's brain, because you can, he created um, a game that like you would play an Oculus that when you die, you die in, you die in real life. And I think Zuckerberg was just like, you know, he, he may be... Maybe an alien, but he's an ethical alien, right? <laughs> and like he was just sort of like, we can't do that. It reminds me, I remember there was a, I don't remember where I watched this. There was a a movie that came out. If anybody that's uh, watching this, if you know what I'm talking about, comment, because I'm actually trying to kind of curious if, I think it was on Netflix. It was this movie of these teenagers that went to a drive-in movie theater. Um, It was this horror film that was supposedly so bad. It was worse than like The Exorcist. And it got like banned and canceled, but they had like this one premiere, this like exclusive premiere of this film. It was like Bunny something. This is actually an episode of um, American Horror Story. Oh, American Horror Story. Yes. Ugh. It's great. Thank you. Yes. I love American Horror Story. Uh, That was, that was. That was very fucked up. But basically, the movie makes you rabid. Yes. 
And so everybody She's- who watches it ends up killing each other in like these mass hysteria. But you know, that's actually not the first time that that, that trope has been used before. And my favorite, that trope is one of my favorite horror films with Sam Neill in it. That's basically a parable about like, about, about like Stephen King ask type like media that it was made back in the like early nineties It's called in the mouth of madness. Everybody should go watch this. This is one of my, one of the fucking best horror movies I've ever seen. And it's all about, um a book that makes people go crazy but it's about finding the author like the author who writes stephen king-esque type books has disappeared into this little town somewhere like maine like somewhere in maine and sam neil has to go find him and coax him out of his hidey hole and get his a copy of his of his book and this is the plot this is the plot of the uh of in the mouth of madness and it just gets super twisted and the entire narrative gets flipped around and i'm not gonna tell you what happens at the end but it's such a wonderful reveal. And like, even if you see it coming, the way that it's executed is really great. But um, that was like the first time I was introduced. I saw that movie when I was like probably 10 or 11. Like I, I love horror. I'm like, I love horror and like not science fiction, but like parent, like, like just kind of paranormal stuff. Um, My favorite though is a clock uh, is a clockworks orange. That's great. Have you ever read it? Um, I read it partially. When I watched that film, uh, it was mind it was mind blowing, and it kind of paints a picture of you know the, the not only the future but how we see the future. Um, and we said this before. I mean, you can you can view things from our dark lens, or you can look at from a good lens. There, there is always. There is always going to be people that take something that's good and make it twisted. You know, I'm going to say this and I don't give a fuck because a lot of people don't ma- don't last until this part because we're almost finishing. Um, the community I grew up in was created by Holocaust survivors. They came here to America after the war. And without even realizing, because of how they were treated, which was horrible, they created their people to be so closed, they have no understanding of the outside world. It's sometimes so horrible, we have this fantastic idea, like we're talking about with Mark Zuckerberg, and you know this way of people interacting and all of this and it doesn't it doesn't work number four number oh we got four oh my god that means we've been on for an hour and 30. they're about 15 minutes to make so we've been on for an hour i paused for a moment when i was trying to explain the connection between the Black Dahlia murder and uh, and this realist movement, and I kind of put it down for a second. But generally, they take both. Yeah, we, we we we've we've mentioned um, a lot of podcasts, a lot of episodes, and um, a lot of. We'll put a like. We'll just put a, like a, a a comment on all the things with like a list of all the different things that we discussed in this. Cool, damn. Yeah, well, I think this has been fun. 
Um, yeah. I smoked way too much. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we got four wrap pillows, little pin cushions. They're so adorable. And like, I- I'll be like, honestly, like anybody that's watching this, it's like such a perfect thing to have. Like if you're sewing, and I'll tell you why, because there's a tail, you can kind of like tie it onto the sewing machine. You can kind of, I don't know. There's like different things you can do that. I'm just like thinking of right now. Um, but yeah, little stress balls. So they're all like really fat and plushy. So like you can just squeeze it and like you're stressed out. You're just like releasing stress. So be sure to, um, check out, uh, Eli's, uh, incredible collection uh, called Underland Creations LA on yeah. Etsy. It's yeah. Also, Etsy is like the worst app. Yeah, I know. But maybe maybe message me if you buy something because I can't figure it, it. Whatever, message me if you buy something because I can't necessarily see it on my Etsy app because Etsy is terrible. I feel like they just designed Etsy and then like like in like the early 2000s and then they just like never updated it or something. I was joking that, I, but like, I really want this to be a reality that like the people who got fired from Twitter would just like get hired by Etsy and make the app not suck. Good luck. Um, but yeah, I mean, this has been a uh, peace of mind and uh, be sure, um, be sure to leave your uh, likes and comments. Oh, and um uh, what did I want to mention? Uh, we have. Oh, shit. I totally forgot. Oh, we have an easy, an easy peasy handle to remember. It's lost in the groove pod. Okay. You want to find us anywhere. I mean, fuck, we're all over the place. Lost in the groove pod. And uh, remember, you can find Eli on Instagram at Eli. Dash, under- Iraq, dash underland. No, no, sorry, is underscore. Eli underscore Narat uh, underscore Underland. All right. This has been a wrap. We'll catch you on the next episode of Peace of Mind. Bye, Rap Pillows.